And so what I would say to those those mothers and friends is to ask the man in their life, to ask the father, to think about the relationship he had with his father and, and, and say, well, how do you want to be different with your son? This is the Curious Neuron Podcast. We take a compassionate approach on science-based parenting. Join us as we break down child development and parenting research to help you apply it with your child. Welcome. Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Curious Neuron Podcast. This is the season three opener, and it has been a little while. I think the last episode I published was in July at some point, and then I really wanted to take some time this summer to be with the family and also to give some thought to, you know, how I wanted to structure Curious Neuron and what I wanted to do with it. For those of you who have been following me for a while, I just, you know, had a blog <laughs> and um, an Instagram account that grew, and I wanted to make sure that I took some time to chat with some of the parents that are part of Kirsteron. Um, so I took the summer to have a few conversations with parents and it really helped me know what your needs are and what you value. And it's very clear that the science behind um, everything that I do with Kirsteron is the most important part for most for, for a lot of you. Um, so I want to make sure that I keep bring, bringing the science to you. Um, on the website, uh, on the podcast section, you will be able to access the articles that we talk about. And I'll try to bring up a lot more articles this season. I also want to interview more researchers. And um, if you are a researcher or work at a lab, please send me an email at info at um, And on our website, we now have a new section. So if you head on to curiousneuron.com, you can click on research labs. And I've begun collaborating now with labs so that I can show you the research that is going on and you can participate in the studies that will help your child and help you as a parent. I want to focus on the science part. That is really the part that I enjoy the most. And interestingly enough, that's the part that you love too. So Let's keep focusing on the science part. I'm also excited to launch a new series as part of the podcast. If you follow us on Instagram, curious underscore neuron, then you know on weekends or most weekends, I have a poll called Am I the Only One? The goal of this poll um, series is so that you can ask a question. Maybe you think that you're the only one not enjoying pregnancy, or maybe you think you're the only father who's struggling with mental health. In these poll questions, you can anonymously put you know, these questions out there, and then our community can answer whether they are experiencing the same thing, or perhaps they want to send you some encouragement. That is, or that has become one of the most popular things that I do on, on Instagram. It's what people take the time to reach out for and, and tell me that it's helped them feel seen. And I can't cover curious, you know, I can't cover science for curious neuron without knowing or without addressing the importance of, of feeling seen as a parent and not feeling alone in our journey because that 
has a huge part in how we parent, right? It's it's the first pillar of Kyrus Neuron, which is nurturing ourselves. So in addition to interviewing specialists and researchers and clinicians and, and authors here on the podcast, we will start having conversations with everyday parents like you. If you have a story that you would like to share, you can reach me at info at Let me know what you would like to talk about and there are a few parents now that I've spoken with and what we have lined up is trauma um, after birth and we will be talking about rage, we will be talking about um, postpartum depression in both moms and dads and um, I want to open up the platform to all parents so if you have a story that you want to share please come and, and contact me and, and let's chat, let's bring you on and let's share your story. I also want to thank Tori S who took the time to email me or send me a DM actually on Instagram to thank me for the podcast and I'd like to thank each and every single one of you who have written a review for the podcast. If you haven't and you have thought to yourself, you know, hey, I like this podcast, <laughs> then please head on to iTunes and leave a rating out of um, five stars and please leave a review as well. It means the world to me because it allows me to see if if it's actually helping you, you know, uh, you know, if you like it. <laughs> um, I really missed uh, coming here in my basement, <laughs> talking to myself. Um, but I know now, because many of you have reached out the, over the summer, I know that this is helping you. So it, it really means something now when I come and sit at my desk here at my mic and, and speak to which I feel is nobody, but I know that I'm speaking to you guys. Um, so again, I really appreciate all of you who take the time to review and to contact me. Okay, as some of you have said on on um, Instagram, who sent me a DM, I do get to the point <laughs> pretty quickly. I don't talk too long. One, because I'm by myself and I have no idea what to talk about <laughs> when I'm alone. Um, that's why I have Marion. <laughs> Um, but for the intro, I'm usually alone. And also when I do speak to guests, I do tend to get to the point very quickly and there's very minimal chit chat. Um, because again, if you know me, I'm pretty much an introvert and struggle with a little bit of that chit chat, <laughs> that small talk. Um, but I wish I would have taken a lot more time to, um, have that small talk with my guest today. If you haven't seen the summary or if you haven't seen the ads that I posted on Instagram, today's guest is a big one. It's a huge season opener and I could not be more grateful for his support. He has um, been following Curious Neuron now for a little while and I said, hey, you know, maybe I could reach out to him <laughs> and he responded and I was really happy because not only is my guest today an amazing actor and director and producer, but he is also trying to make a difference in this world. His book is called Man Enough. And what he is trying to do is undefine masculinity because we do need to do this as a society. The reason why I also wanted to have this conversation with him is because he is a father of two children. And this conversation around masculinity and fatherhood, I think, is an important one. He uh, is the co-founder of Wayfair Studios and their goal is to disrupt the typical studio model by producing stories that serve as true agents for social change. So, I mean, clearly this um, person's goals are to make such a big difference in this world. And I think that he is because he's having the uncomfortable conversations. I so deeply enjoyed his book, Man Enough. 
I had to put his book to the side quite a few times to really take in what I read. And I told him this, and I, I want to say it again at this intro, because those are the kind of books that help me change as a person. They have begun conversations with the people around me, around masculinity. He talks about his relationship with his father and his childhood and his relationship with his wife and his children. And a lot of the points that he talks about, we should be having these conversations as a society. And it starts within our home. So I really encourage you to read the book, Man Enough, that is written by Justin Baldoni, who is my guest today. I deeply encourage you to read Man Enough and to have the conversations first within your own home, um, because this is how we can make a difference for not only our world, but of course, our children's world. His new podcast called Man Enough is another way that he's been really putting out these conversations and he's had guests like Matthew McConaughey and Glennon Doyle and the conversations that he's having with all of his guests are, again, the, the uncomfortable conversations. Um, but also some of these conversations have literally brought me to tears, um, especially when he spoke with his wife, Emily, and she speaks about the struggles that moms have, which she has um, discovered through her own work and her own company as well called AMA or We Are AMA on their website or Instagram. And it's clear that both Justin and Emily have intention behind what they're doing and it's very clear that they want to make a difference. If you head onto our website at curiouseron.com and click on podcast, you will find all of the links to everything I mentioned, including his podcast and his book and Emily's uh, company, We Are Ama. Um, everything will be there on the show notes. I think I've made you wait long enough. <laughs> Please enjoy our interview with Justin Baldoni. Justin, how are you? Hi. Hi. I'm great. How's it going? I am beyond excited that you are here today, and I can't thank you enough for taking the time out of your busy schedule to come and chat with us. I, are you kidding? I'm a fan. I love. <laughs> I love that means a lot to me. You know, I, I love how you use. I love how you use your uh, social media. Thank you. Yeah. So you know, I I have to say first that I absolutely loved your book, and it was one of those books where there's an emotion that comes up and you have to put it down and really sit with that emotion. And mm. I just, I enjoy that kind of thing. Just like clouds, right? Just made me cry like that ugly cry <laughs> the whole movie, but it was so good. You're crying because of the movie or because you recognize your hometown? One of the two. No, no, no the movie. <laughs> you have this ability to just, you go deep into that brain, the, the emotions part. And I love that. Um, and also I was able to, connect so much of what you were saying to parents. And today we're speaking to parents for this podcast. And I'd love to hear or have this conversation with you because I think that there's a lot of these uncomfortable conversations that you kind of talk about in your book that we should be having as parents because it'll change who we are as a parent. So thank you again for, for meeting with me. I'm so happy to be here. And you know, my, my best friends sent me your social media and I started following you. Because I was just like, who is this person? This is so great. And my first thought was like, who makes these amazing graphics? They're so good. <laughs> Me. <laughs> you. And I was like, I was like, that's so good. You're, it's just so yeah. put together and it takes Thank so you. much effort. And I don't think people ever see the iceberg um, mm. that is below the, the, the piece of ice that we can actually see. There's a whole world. And I just imagine you, you have, you have three kids, right? Yeah. 
it's a, it's a, it's a lot. It's a lot. So, so thank you. She's, um, I'm going to, I'm going to say she's really amazing. Cause I, I have <laughs> joined her along the way and the amount of work she puts into one Instagram post, post. is amazing oh, yeah. to read a scientific article, to break it down. It's just, it, she makes it look really easy. So it, well, that's the thing is it looks really yeah, easy, it's but not, it's, not. it's not. I tried to do one for a week. It was like, it took me all week to do one it's post. <laughs> So it's, we all, Hey, we all, Mary, we all have our skills. Yeah, we all have our skills. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> I, I do it because I love it though. Really. It's, I left research to be a stay at home mom and I missed research so much and needed to know what the research was for parents. And that's what led me to, to Curious Neuron. So, <laughs> but let's talk about your book. Let's do it. Yeah. I, you know, um, your book started conversations with my husband and I, which again, I love this kind of thing. Ooh, I want to hear about these conversations. (laughs) He's putting the kids to bed. He's not going to be here. Part of it, he was saying how, and this is a question that a parent sent to me. How do you get to, because you've gone through the work and you had this insight, which from the beginning, from what I understand. Going, going, present tense, through the work. Yes, you're going, yes, true. You're You're still going through the work. And I love that you say that because, and you mentioned about experts, right? We don't know. It's not that we're never going to make a mistake and it's not that it, the work ever ends. It's, it's like you said, it, we're going, you're going through the work. However, how do moms or even friends of dads or men break through some of these barriers if they know that they need to start this work? How do we, how do we do that? Because we know a lot of men in our you know, surroundings. My husband's Italian and ah, he was raised. He my was brother. Raised, yeah. <laughs> he was raised in a way that, you know, you have to be the man of the house. You have mm. to man up and you have to. However, mixed in with that, he was lucky enough that emotions were okay, okay in his home. But that's not the way that it is for most. So, how can moms or wives start this conversation with their husbands? What's interesting is emotions might have been okay in his home but vulnerability probably wasn't. There's a difference in Italian families that I have noticed. And I say this in the book between being an emotional family and being a vulnerable family. Mm. It's one thing to show your emotions. In fact, as we know, uh, especially women, we can rely on emotions um, as kind of a scapegoat sometimes even like if, if we're emotional people that can, that can pass as vulnerability, but true vulnerability is when you have something to lose right? True vulnerability is when you're sharing a part of yourself that is uncomfortable to share. It's not easy to be vulnerable. If it was easy, everybody would do it, Mm. right? It's much easier to be emotional. And the fact that most of us men are not allowed to be emotional just shows you how far we have to go. That, That jump from just allowing ourselves to cry when we're sad or happy, express our feelings, our loneliness or depression, anxiety, whatever it is that we're feeling, that jump to vulnerability, to I'm depressed, to I have an addiction, to I need help. I don't know what to do. I'm having negative thoughts. Um, I'm thinking about ending my life. I mean, we're talking about, that's a, that's a big jump. So we're, yeah. we're really taking baby steps here. And the first baby step, because you specifically said to moms, right? Or friends of dads, I think is to, is to, and I'm just kind of going to, I haven't been asked this specific question yet, specifically about dads. So I'm just going to kind of see where my thoughts mm-hmm. take me. Uh, I'll speak extemporaneously here for a second. Uh, I think that it's about 
It's about putting the onus on the relationship that that man had with his father and comparing it maybe to the relationship he has with his son. Mm. So one of the things we know about men is that deep down, we all have a desire to have had a different relationship with our fathers. Mm. And for the men who will admit it, even if there was a great relationship, there's parts that aren't. And we, 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 I think we all wish we could be closer. A lot of men don't even have fathers or had absent fathers, right? That's why Field of Dreams makes us cry so much. If, we've, if you've ever seen that movie, uh, if a man has seen that movie, uh, it was a movie in the 90s, Kevin Costner stars in it. It's a pretty ridiculous movie, but the end has a scene with him and his dead father playing catch. And all of us men just lose our shit when we watch that movie. Because all of us have this this deep longing to connect with our fathers, to say the things we always wish we would have said. And every man I know who lost their dad wishes that they could have another day with them to say all the things they didn't say, to hug them in the way that they never were comfortable hugging them. And so what I would say to those, those mothers and friends is to ask the man in their life, to ask the father, to think about the relationship he had with his father and, and, and say, well, how do you want to be different with your son? And, and that's a good starting place, I think. Um, and then the other thing, and truly all of this work goes back to, I think, one thing, which is allowing ourselves the ability to feel and not judging it, not stepping outside of our bodies and looking at it and judging it and being the jury and the judge that most of us have been exposed to and saying, oh, those feelings I'm having make me less of a man. We have to find a way to step outside of that where we're, wa- we're not watching ourselves and allow ourselves to actually feel in the same way we're encouraging our children to feel in the same way our children are wired from birth to be able to feel. Mm-hmm. Um, us men need to start asking ourselves those questions because the fact is we know we can feel. I mean, you know, some of the research I even put it in my book shows that boys are as sensitive as girls. We just drown, like we drowned that part of ourselves. We numb it down, as Bell Hook says. We commit that psychic act of self-mutilation and we're no longer able to feel. We train ourselves to not feel. So as us men, we got to go, well, what am I feeling? (laughs) I'm in therapy. I don't even know half the time what I'm feeling. My therapist will say, well, how does that feel? And I'm like, "Uh, (laughs) well, I'm not as smart as I thought I was because I don't even have a word for it. And suddenly it's like, can I list six feelings? Uh, right. I'm teaching my kids, but the second it's yeah. about me, I'm like, I got nothing. I have absolutely yeah. nothing because I've been taught that my whole life. So us yeah. men, we got to go back to feeling. Back to the basics. Yeah. And I think that's, that's what really struck me and what has um, really stuck with me is this idea of therapy and that we should be seeing therapists, couples therapy. And this idea that we're, that it's abnormal is kind of, um, old fashioned. We're, we're, we're a society now that we should be seeking help. And there's so many professionals that can help us. But well, it- who decides it's abnormal? That's the first thing, right? Right. Who's just, who did, who's, who is this, like this, this, uh, group of elders who've decided what's socially acceptable for us. <laughs> right. So it's normalized, but then how do we, I, I don't know in the U S but in Canada, it's hard to get a therapist and it can be really expensive. Um, does, uh, I mean, you guys have full healthcare. Does it, is it covered by health insurance? Um, not, not really. There are, there are public services, but the wait lists can be up to 10 months. 
to see someone. And then So it sounds it sounds like there needs to be some policy changes in Canada to make therapy more of a priority. Because right. because if you think about therapy, it's really preventative medicine in, in many ways. Mm-hmm. You know, like yeah. we we talk so much and and we see, at least in America, like this idea of preventing. When COVID happened, it was like stop the curve. Why? Why? Because we want to prevent hospitals from becoming overflowed. Well, it's the same thing with therapy. We're preventing, right? It's not just about you go because you're broken, which is the myth. Which is exactly we people wait like, until something's wrong with yeah. marriage or well, with them. I, yeah, I don't need to go to therapy. We're fine. No. Yeah. What makes you fine? Who decided you were fine? <laughs> Are you really fine? Because I know your parents and you're definitely not fine, right? Yeah. Uh, how many times have we had those conversations? Yeah. Like, there's no way. It's like, it's like the outside observer. Or it's like having that friend that's like, oh my God, I hate drama. Like, you know, <laughs> like, no, you're the drama. That's why you hate it. Uh, anyways, I digress. But as men were taught that admitting you're broken is death like you might as well die than admit that you are broken so the idea of not only needing to talk to somebody but then going into your phone but going into yelp going into a google search and then looking for therapy and then calling a therapist is torture yeah because we can't even do it i mean hell we us hetero men we make our wives our therapists 90 percent of the time so now our wives have to be our sexual partners, our friends, our co-parents, and our therapists. <laughs> and we wonder why women are so unhappy. Men have to take that step and be willing, right, to do the hard work of heart work, which I talk about in the book, mm-hmm. and be willing to be brave enough mm-hmm. to admit that they're not perfect, that we need help that isn't ourselves. We love going to the gym. We love doing extreme things. We love taking physical risks. We love working our asses off to get a promotion. We'll suffer for our families. We'll suffer in the gym. We literally are tearing down muscle fibers. We go to the gym willingly to hurt ourselves, to get comfortable in the uncomfortable so that we can grow. We want to do anything to grow except emotional growth. Mm. We stay away from emotional growth, Mm. like the plague. Yeah, that's it. It's, it's so true. And I think for me reading, well, actually I listened to the book, so it's actually, it's, I, I feel like oh, I cool. really know you because you've that. been in like my head, literally. Oh no, you're dreaming about <laughs> yeah, my voice. Yeah, except I was listening, <laughs> my- I was listening at 1.4 speed. Uh, so now you sound much more relaxed. <laughs> at what speed? 1.4. It was pretty so I kind of sound like a chipmunk. Yeah. I'm like doing like this oh, the whole time. It's like, hey, how are you? Sometimes I paused it and put it down, but you know, <laughs> I got through the whole thing. <laughs> I don't know. I tried listening. I was just to check. I tried listening to myself at 1.4 to see what I sounded like or 1.3. And I'm like, I couldn't understand anything. Oh, uh, so, so good for my you. My husband sucks really fast. So I've gotten used to it. <laughs> um, wow. Right. So I think um, where you were talking about your dad um, is he sounds like a, a he was a great dad. And he is a great dad. Yeah, he is a great dad. And you talk about his relationship with his father and how you thought it, it kind of went the other direction. Like he, the pendulum swung. Do you think in your relationship with your son, is it, how do you, how do you catch yourself from swinging too far from catching, catching yourself from doing the opposite of what your parents did to, for you? 
Yeah. Cause again, it's not always about the opposite because you want to take what works. Right. Um, you know, my dad is an amazing dad and he still is. And one of the things that I love the most about my dad is that he has, since I started doing this work, allowed there to be space for him to be challenged and for, to bring all my heavy stuff and shit to him. And at first it was very hard for me. And then I had to explain a little bit because us kids always have to explain to our parents um, after a certain age. And then he sat with it and he's really been willing to take the feedback and look at it and grow because he's got another chance with my, my kids, with his grandkids. Um, And so for me, you know, I was trying to understand my relationship with my father, which is why I started asking him questions about him and his dad, which the chances are most men never do that. And I asked him one day over text and I read this in the book. I said, did, did grandpa ever say, I love you? Cause I never got to meet grandpa. Mm. And he thought about it and he said, no, he said, he told me he was proud of me, uh, but he never said he loved me. Mm. And I noticed he says he loves me all the time. It's like, it just all the time. Like his dad never went to his sport events. He wouldn't miss mine to the point where he would hurt himself to get to my events. Right. And there's a bit of an overcorrection there because at some point he was doing it for himself. Um, No matter what he he was doing it for me. Yes. But at some point he had to admit he was also doing it for himself because he was healing that part of him while he was fathering me. And for me, what I tried to do is ask the question, which is why, you know, I, my dad used to play me that song, you know, a cat in the cradle and the silver spoon, which is I, this, it's the song really about a father and a son. And then the, the father's always working. The kid wants to play with them. The father's never able to play with him. And then the kid grows up and the dad, the father's calling him and uh, the kid's like, sorry, dad, I'm busy. I'm working. <laughs> and it's this cyclical thing. And we've all experienced that. And I have become my dad in a lot of ways. And I'm, and I, and the thing is I notice it. So my son will say, Will you play with me? And I'm busy working or doing something because we're all at home. And I keep telling him no, or I keep saying in a second, I keep, I'm holding on to my phone. And I know that I'm just repeating the same stuff that my dad did to me. I just don't remember him doing that, but I know he did. So it's about being aware. It's about asking questions. It's about saying like, why am I doing this? Oh my God, my dad did that to me. I don't like, I need to have a healthy relationship with work. I need to have a healthy relationship with my phone. I'm not saying I'm there, but it's something that I'm at least aware of. It's something that I'm, go- I'm talking about in therapy. Where does this stuff come from? Because I don't want my son to feel like he has to compete with my work for my affection. And yet I know deep down he is. The other day, my, my daughter said, oh, daddy, you're always in your phone. Put down your phone. And she says that to me and it broke my heart because she was right. It's always in my freaking hand. And so again, it's just, it's the questioning. It's the asking ourselves, do I feel good about this? Am I parenting from the place of joy or love that I really want to be parenting from? What am I instilling in my child? So often we're just trying to get through life as parents. We're just trying to make it through. And we don't take the time to actually think about, well, what's the effect this is having on our kids? We're just trying to get by. And that's why I think we have such wounded children, millennials, Gen Z, baby boomers, we're all wounded. So the question is, how can we be better than the previous generation by asking these kind of questions? 
I think that's such an important first part as a parent. I think back to when I was a parent for the first time, my husband and I, you don't ask those questions. You think it's hard because your baby isn't sleeping, but the hard part hasn't begun yet. The hard part is once your child's having tantrums. The hard parts are when you need to discipline and not all of your past and everything <laughs> that you went through with your parents, all that crap comes back and you're like, hold on a second, I'm yelling and I told myself I would never yell. Or, you know, things yeah. that happened to you in the way that you were parented. And I always tell parents, you need to face that and you need to take the time to, and like you said, ask why. Why are you responding this way? Why are you triggered by your toddler who's screaming or yelling? Why is that leading to you yelling? And if we don't start questioning it, I think we can't go through the work as parents. And we're going to no. keep those cycles, yeah. those cycles of even- Repeating those cycles. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's a really important part of asking why. And even if like with the first question, going back to what do you say to your partner? How do you get them on board to to do the work and to have these conversations if maybe they don't want to have them, but just asking them to start questioning themselves and asking that question why could be a first step too. Because they have to do the thinking through it. Mm -hmm. Mary, I think you were going to say something. Oh, Yeah, for sure. Uh I think just on that, just having the conversation, and I think men and women, maybe not generally, but approach it differently. Women might come in with a more um, serious, like, we need to talk about this, we need to have this conversation. But I think also adding some some humor and making it fun, and it doesn't have to be this really serious, we need to go to therapy, and we have so many problems. Yeah. It's, it's you know, it's a journey, and we're all learning. And, and that's something I definitely found with my husband. It's like, we have to joke about it. We have to, like, this is ridiculous. Sometimes our life looks like a sitcom. And, and you know, we're just trying to make light of some of this, what can be really heavy conversations. That's very important. That's very important. And therapy also, again, it doesn't have to be like, oh my God, we're going to get a divorce right. or we're breaking up. Therapy, therapy is like stretching before a workout. For sure. You can still work out, but you can hurt yourself. You could have a career ending injury. You could tear a muscle. You don't want to do that. So stretch. It's kind of annoying. It's like not fun to stretch, but it's important to stretch. Your body needs it. And uh, and I think that's what I, you know, I always try to find analogies for men so that we can just remove all this crap from our, the back of our minds, this like idea that we can't be broken. Oh my God, my wife wants to go to therapy. Oh my God. You know, like mm -hmm. good. Cause stuff's going to come out of there, come out of that for you too. Mm -hmm. And it's going to always come back to your family, to your parents, where that comes yeah. from, how you're parenting and all that kind of stuff. And I also think that a lot of us men don't admit how much we want to have closer relationships with our kids and how sometimes resentful we are of work. I think that we have gotten so lost uh, with, uh, you know, this obsession with work, with providing, right. With this, like we're born men and we have this God given right where we, this is our job and we have to sacrifice for our families. And I just don't know if that is right. This idea of sacrifice, because what are we doing? Yes. We're working. Yes. We're paying the bills. Those of us that, are in that, uh, that dynamic in our relationship, but at what cost we're missing our kids, you know, we're spending, we're not spending time with our kids. And by the time we get home, we're, you know, maybe we're too tired. We want to zone out and that creates other issues. Right. And then you can, then you get into the, to the, you know, if you're in a hetero relationship, that dynamic where it's like, well, who's more tired <laughs> and, and 
as men, I just think that we got to find and be willing to ask the question if we're happy here. If our if we snapped our fingers and our kids were suddenly out of the house, are we going to feel like we missed it? If we're on our deathbeds, did we give enough time to them? And I say this right now because, you know, I'm I'm looking at the window. I'm, we're in our tiny house right now. We have a little tiny house. And I'm looking at our, our house and I see the window into my kid's bedroom and they're getting put to sleep by their mother. And there's always something. And I have to ask myself, is it worth it? Is this one worth it? Is that one worth it? And if the answer is no, then we just got to rearrange our lives and start saying no. And that's a really hard thing to do if you're not going to therapy and talking about it with another person. If you're not having these conversations with your male friends, which is the other thing, men need male friends to talk to. We need other men to talk to. And that starts with being willing to share and be vulnerable. I'm not saying be willing to cry in front of another man tomorrow, but it means being willing to reach out and say, hey, do you ever feel like you're missing out on your kids? I feel like I'm missing out on my kids, man. It's, 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 I think it's hurting me. Like it's driving me, it's, it's making me feel weird. And it's like, I'm resentful of my work. I'm taking that on my wife, whatever the situation is that this man is going through, we have to be willing to, to have community with other men. One, to take that off of the women in our lives and our wives, um, if we are again in a hetero relationship, but also because we need that mirror. We need that other man or that group of men to say, yeah, I feel the same way too, because that's how we feel less alone. And if we can feel less alone, we become happier, we have less repressed emotions, and then we bring that into our marriages and into our families. So uh, so definitely relationships with men, therapy, the questioning, and then really looking at our lives and, our, and the workforce and saying, like, is there a better way for me to do this? Can I reduce my hours? Can I change things up? Can I find a way to have energy so that when I get home, I can just give them that like 20 minutes of undivided attention? Can I make sure I'm home for bath time? You know, these little tiny things add up over the course of our lives, like compounding interests. And I think when we miss it, we're going to miss it. And it's so easy to let the time pass when you have kids, even three like small kids in my home, where weeks pass and months pass and years pass and you haven't started those conversations. And then what? And then you're older yeah. and you haven't put that work and now your kids are older and you've instilled certain beliefs in them or you know things have been created already you talk about the brain too in your in your book very well too <laughs> but those ner the, those neuronal connections they're built and they might have seen certain habits or even you you talk about a relationship in such a beautiful way in your book and that connection part asking yourself how am i going to connect with you know with your wife with emily and we should be doing the same thing because those little things make a difference our kids are watching they're seeing oh they're watching ourselves <laughs> they're mirrors yeah, yeah. yeah. absolutely yeah. yeah that's that's a I great know. point they're just modeling our behaviors so if we can set up some positive relationships within our home they're they're soaking it all up their brains are just like little sponges <laughs> especially this past year a lot of parents have reached out to me and, and voiced how their marriage is is struggling. They're struggling with the relationship with their kids, but it comes down to them, to themselves. They need to put the work into it and they need to start that work. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's so easy to let the time pass, I think, with and ignoring all this. <laughs> um, Being a parent is the only time you feel nostalgia for the present. Yeah. It's <laughs> one of my favorite quotes. Well said, yeah. Another part of your book that really marked me, and, and I have two boys and a girl, and 
you know, we can do everything we possibly could within our home. We could work on their emotions since they're, you know, as of you know, a young age. We could work on ourselves and we can work on our relationships. But there will be that moment where they're no longer with us, where they're with friends and they're out and about. And you talk about a moment, and this was one of the parts where I had to sit with it and, and it really brought... <laughs> oh, I know where this is going, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's... Uh, wait, I wrote his name. Uh, Jake? Was it Jake? <laughs> We yes. don't have to give details, but I, I want to bring up, you know, the stats and, and again, having two boys, I know that they'll be in this environment now. They have iPhone, they don't, but they will maybe one day <laughs> have iPhones and, and tablets and social media has changed. They will be introduced to porn. They will be introduced to moments where they might be put in an uncomfortable situation. And we talk about body boundaries and we talk about yeah. consent in our home, but what can we do as parents to, or what conversations, is there something more that we should be having? Because like you said, you were raised in a good home. You know, what happens if kids didn't have these conversations and they're put in certain situations? I, I mean, nobody ever had a conversation with me. Hmm. My parents didn't have that conversation ah, with me. Got it. Hmm. My parents didn't have the sex conversation hmm. or the porn conversation. Hmm. Um, I mean, I was, I'm 37 so I was kind of, it was like dial up internet was starting, you know, when I was 10. Mm. And what's scary now is that what I was exposed to at 10 was like pictures of naked women that took like a minute to load. <laughs> my, right? Actually, my husband was saying the same thing to me yesterday. It was like, yeah, it took a minute to load. <laughs> Talk about like delayed gratification when you're a kid, right? You're getting, expo you're getting exposed to like naked breasts for the first time. And it takes a minute and you're like, I think that's a, is that a nipple? I think, I think. And, and now it's just, it's on demand. Anything that you could imagine, the weirdest shit that exists in the world. And that's, what's terrifying. And what I had to learn was that it wasn't my fault. You know, as you know, being a, a brain expert, right. A neuro neuroscientist uh, is we like at an, when you are exposed to these things at an early age, especially in a culture like ours in, in the West where um, women's bodies are so sexualized and objectified and hidden on purpose, right? And so it becomes taboo. It becomes like this thing we covet or we're curious about. And you mix all of that in with all of the emotions that a, that a young boy is going through and the bullying and the shaming and the body changing and the experimenting and the not knowing who they are and the voice changing and and suddenly, you know, being attracted to other people. It's like all of this gets kind of like compounded and enmeshed together and built into these neural pathways. So, you know, if, if I'm 11 years old, and even if I don't even have an erection, but I'm looking at, you know, internet porn, uh, when I'm feeling sad or lonely, right? Because it's exciting, then both my body's saying, oh my God, this is exciting give me more. And it's also memorizing the fact that I'm feeling terrible about myself mm -hmm. and I'm feeling lonely. And so naturally, of course, when you get older, your body's and your brain's going to just go straight to that. Oh, you're feeling sad. You need that thing. You need that cookie, right? It's the reward center of our brain. Mm -hmm. um, and that's it's the dopamine rush. It's all of these things together. It's what it's random reward theory. It's, it's what casinos are built on and Tinder and Instagram. It's the endless scrolling. It's what's going to happen next. And we're just flooding our brains 
with these chemicals that are not supposed to happen, right? Because in general, like, I mean, you correct me if I'm wrong. I believe dopamine is is a survival chemical. <laughs> it's here by water after yeah. a run. <laughs> it's here to help us survive, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, it tells us the things that are good, mm-hmm. right? Like uh, empty your bladder. That's a good thing. Like so. Um, so then all of this stuff starts happening, and you and you start, and you don't even realize it, but you start to form this unhealthy relationship with fill in the blank. Now it's happening with Instagram. Now it's happening with TikTok. Now it's happening with you name it with kids and of course porn. So that's inevitable now. So the question is, what are we doing to prepare them for it? And that's what was that's what never happened for me. I don't think you can ever stop it from happening. There's no amount of parenting or teaching that will ever get your kid to not be curious about a thing that everybody else is curious about. And you mix that with biology and hormones. It's, it's like, what are you going to do? So we have to have the conversations at an earlier age than I think we're ready to as parents. And I think even the most woke people are afraid to have conversations. It's like, what age is ready? And then God forbid you're in a religious household, right? You think you, you want your child to not have sex until they're married, but you're not going to talk to them about what sex is. They're already having it. <laughs> you know, they're 12, 13 year olds. They're, they're already having it now because it's, it's available to them. So we have to start early. And that's a scary thing to even think about, especially for you know, for moms really. And then for dads who never had the talk for themselves, you know, what do they say? Most dad, most men I know, they don't, they never, they don't even know what consent is. Nobody talked to them about consent. College boys, when I go speak at college campuses, have them don't know what consent is, right? Because it wasn't explained to us. And how are we learning about sex from porn where no means yes. So there's all these things that we have to start putting in our boys and our girls' heads. As an example, I tell we tell Maya and Maxwell, no means no. You start, boom, three years old. No means no. If somebody says no, it means no, no matter what situation you're in. It's there. Hopefully it's there. And that will be in the back of their mind, right? It's little things like that. Well, I think that's exactly it. It's not one talk. It is talking from yeah. their, when they're a baby, talking to them, making the connections. It's this authentic relationship. The talk, yeah, right? It's, it's not, not the, a talk. The talk. It's, it's yeah. talking all of the time. Whenever you have the opportunity, it's it's not overreacting to anything that they tell you. It's just being with your kids and, and forming that connection because one talk will be awkward. <laughs> and no one will, it'll yeah. be so awkward that your brain's going to be flooded with the awkward chemicals and you won't be able to learn anything. Well, and then the kids are going to, and then they laugh, right? And then yeah. everybody laughs in class and the kids all start laughing when you bring up genitalia, yeah. right? Uh, which should be the most normal thing in the world. Glennon Doyle writes about this in Untamed, hmm. right? She talks about the boys laughing. Well, what are we laughing at? What's our discomfort with it? Maybe we should make it more comfortable. For sure. Right. And it's by having more of these conversations, I think. And and whenever whenever I post about um, consent and boundaries and talking to kids about their private parts and being able to name them, I get flooded. <laughs> really? DMs get flooded. Yes. And like you said, culture plays a part with it. It plays a big part, too. Oh, right? yeah. And and also, um, let's say grandparents where, you know, God forbid, a two-year-old says penis in front of their grandmother, you're in trouble, <laughs> where, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's still going on. And 
it I, and we wonder and we wonder why yeah. we wonder why you know one in four women over the course of their lives will be sexually assaulted or raped we wonder why one in five boys before the age of 10 will be molested yeah. we wonder why it's right there it's in your dms if you're a parent listening to this it's because of you i'm sorry we are not talking to our children about their bodies or about sex, which is the thing that makes the entire world go around. None of us would be here if we didn't. And we want our kids to have healthy relationships to sex and love. If we make it taboo, if we're afraid to talk about it because of our own shame, well, that's something you got to deal with in therapy because 95% of us, and I just made up that number, so don't Google it, have some sort of unhealthy trauma related to sex, whether we want to admit it or not. And that is what you're bringing it down and parenting your, your kids with. So our inability to be vulnerable and awkward and uncomfortable with our kids whose bodies are changing is only going to force them to learn outside of the house. Exactly. Yeah. And when they learn outside of the house, guess who's not in control of the narrative? You. And uh, how many how many people do I know in my own family, my own Italian side of the Catholic family or the Jewish family who just want to be willingly, blissfully ignorant about anything that has to do with sex in their family or their kids. Oh, no, 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 no. They couldn't be. Oh, no, they couldn't be. Well, how, how would you know? You're not talking about it with them. Change is uncomfortable. And I think that's what we need to remember is that if we're having these conversations and it's uncomfortable, it probably means that something is changing and it's good. So if we're, we got to just keep keep the conversation going. And I think you're doing great work, great service to be having these conversations and getting out there and not, and not just keeping it within our own families, but helping others around us and doing what we can. Yeah. And I want to clarify one thing I said earlier too, because inevitably there's context collapse and, uh, and we take things out of, out of um, order or, you know, don't always heed the meaning. When I say specifically, all these things are happening. And if you're somebody who is not willing to talk about it, it's because of you. I don't mean that, that the boys, the girls are being sexually assaulted because of you. What I'm saying is your, your unwillingness to talk about it and to become and step out of your discomfort and step and step into that uncomfort and be willing to talk about it is perpetuating a taboo that is causing, that is causing our children to go and search and look and experiment and explore because they're not getting answers from the, the safe place, the people that they trust. And it's putting them in situations where that can happen to them, right? So if we know at an early age that, if, especially to our boys, knowing the, knowing the numbers, if we tell our boys at an early age, the only people that can touch your penis are mommy and daddy or grandpa and grandpa, if they're helping clean or whatever it is. And if somebody ever does, this is what you do. We have to do that. Yeah. The only reason we wouldn't is because it makes us uncomfortable. And if we're not willing to do it, right? If we know the numbers, one in five, that's one of every, that's one of every basketball team player. That's one of every starting lineup at a basketball team, right? That's generally five or six kids in a classroom sometimes. And the reason those boys or girls are not prepared for that moment is because they, they didn't know they thought it was okay. We have to blame ourselves. We have to. And that's an uncomfortable thing to look at. But if we're not having those conversations, who's going to have them? Our schools aren't going to have them. 
Somebody's got to have them. And the reality is we live in an unsafe world. And we know that hurt people hurt people. And all of us, men, women, non-binary folks, anybody who's a parent, we want our kids to grow up and be safe. We want to protect them. We want to make sure that they go out in the world. And the reason it's so scary is because there's bad people out in the world. There are hurt kids who grew up to be adults who now hurt adults. And if we want to have any chance of a, of a future with unity and with kindness and love, it starts with us as parents getting uncomfortable, putting our shit aside, going to therapy and being willing to have these, these what we think are crappy conversations at such an early age to prepare them for the world. Exactly. We have to. I know. You know, I was going to end our conversation by asking, how do we change everything for the next generation for our children? But I think you've... Really by changing ourselves. Exactly. I think you just nailed it there. So I say in the book, it, it, starts, it, it starts in the mirror, right? We think like even social media activists and platform and people with platforms and celebrities and, you know, we always are like, oh, it starts, we got, you know, I got to do this and I got to do this. And we think that it's about the audience. We think that it's about changing the world. Well, you cannot change the world until you change yourself. I grew up in the Baha'i faith mm -hmm. and the Baha'i faith, the purpose of the faith is unity. And we're told straight up that unity cannot spread to the globe, to the country, to the state, to the city, to the town, to the block, unless it starts in the house with you and your family. So if you got a, if your family screwed up and you're not having conversations with your family, and you won't talk to your husband about what he's going through, or you're, you're a husband not talking to your wife about what she's going through or whatever relationship you're in, and you can't talk to your kids about the real stuff, you can't go out in the world and fix it. You got you to gotta start in your own house, which is why you start in the mirror. And that's a perfect way to end this conversation. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much, Justin, for taking the time to chat with us today and for sharing your insight and your journey with us. I know that it'll help other parents out there um, feel less alone in their journey. And it was so nice chatting with you guys. It's nice, nice to meet you. Um, and I'll see you, on, uh, I'll see you on social media. Thanks, Justin. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please take a moment to review this podcast on iTunes and to leave a review. Remember to always nurture yourself first as a parent, then your child, and each other. Bye!